Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Freeman Means Business Wonder Women in Business podcast. Everyone has a story, and on our podcast, we give a voice to those women whose story is meaningful, moving, and compelling. I'm super, super excited to have a social media friend of mine. She's someone whose work I follow. She's a dynamo. She's a great voice for equity in the workplace. I just love all of her shares, her great words of wisdom, and her awesome pictures. If you haven't guessed it, my guest today is Michelle Wines. Michelle, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Susan. I am so honored to be here, and I thank you for inviting me. You yourself are a dynamo. I follow you on LinkedIn as well, and you inspire me, so thank you for having me today. Super great. I can't wait to meet you in person one day. Um, I am going to make my way down to Kansas City and enjoy uh, some of the, the great things you say and do in person. Shake your hand. Awesome. A big I'd hug. love to host you. I'd love to host you. So just <laughs> let me know. <laughs> awesome. Well, why don't you tell those who, you know, the rare few out there who may not know who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I'm a mom, first of all. I have three bright, beautiful, talented girls. Um, their names are Sydney. Uh, she's 22. Gabby is 21 today. Today is her birthday. Right Happy birthday, Gabby. <laughs> Thank you. She just turned 21. And then Sage is 16. She just turned 16 a couple months ago and started driving. So that's been Oh, Lord. <laughs> the adventure. I'm also, wow. yeah. And so I'm also a wife. Um, my, my husband, Brian Wimes is a judge. Um, he was appointed by President Obama to the federal judiciary about eight years ago. And um, so it's been wonderful watching his journey as a federal district court judge. I'm a sister. I'm a daughter. I also refer to myself as a recovering attorney. Um, I'm a former lit <laughs> litigator. <laughs> I practiced law for about 14 years before moving over to what I call the dark side. <laughs> they have cookies. <laughs> right, right. There's cookies on the dark side. Um, and then I also like to call myself a global citizen. I mean, I like to write. I like to speak. I, I'm, I feel like I'm a leader and a talent management strategist. And above all, Susan, I'm, you know, I try to be authentically and unapologetically a Black woman um, who values diversity and inclusion. And I would say, you know, in my day job, I'm a chief diversity and professional development officer for Ogletree Deacons. And Ogletree is one of the nation's largest labor and employment firms. And so in that position, I, what I do is really seek to empower the diverse lawyers that I work with um, so that they can be successful. And, and I do that by really just trying to equip them with the tools and resources that they need. And at the same time, I'm also working to create transparency around the current systems that we have. And then if we have policies or practices that are um, creating barriers to equity and belonging and inclusion, I'm working to dismantle those or to um, rebuild those or really to reframe those in a way that are more inclusive and, and, and allow people to really bring their authentic selves to the table and really belong in our environment. So that's a little bit about me. I love it. I didn't want to interrupt because all of that is so powerful. And folks, if you follow Michelle on social media, she has a way. You have such a way of storytelling. And 
you're definitely authentic. That comes across. You're not afraid to be open, honest, and direct. And you, you write with heart. So I believe, well, first of all, I didn't know how funny you are. You're really funny, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you made me laugh. Um, it's amazing to me that you were, um, you pointedly started as a mom. That was beautiful when you said, who am I? You know, I'm a mom first. I think, I love that. If people who know me know that I am most proud of that. Uh, being a mom. And then you gave a shout out to your husband, whom I also follow him and know of his work. And yay, um, I'm, I'm very much a fan of the Wines family. So. <laughs> <laughs> the girls are doing great things. Not that they, 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 do. they don't even know Auntie Susie yet, but yeah. <laughs> right. It's so funny, Susan, because people will know the girls and yeah. they will... <laughs> You know, they'll see them out and they'll go running up to them. And, and then my girls don't know everyone, right? And so they'll just kind of look like, who is this person? And so it's just hilarious because I'll run into friends and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I saw Sydney or I saw Gabby. And they didn't know who I was, but I feel like I know everything about them. <laughs> They're like, blame your mom. Blame your right. mom. Mom's fault. No, but you really are. You know, so I, I too, am working to move the needle and fight for equity in the work. Place. Your your goals are much more pointed, and you have uh, a greater personal connection with what you're trying to do. It's a large firm, very large firm, uh, lots of people that you're working with. What I want to ask you uh, along those lines is, how do you challenge authority, or you know, create new policy, or change or correct uh, the course that needs to be changed or corrected? Yeah, you know, a couple of things. I think one is, is that you've got to build relationships with people. Um, people have to know that you have their best interests at heart and that you're trying to create systems of equity where everyone can benefit, not just white males, white women, but people of color, um, people of different sexual orientations as well. And so that starts with the top. It starts with really having a great relationship with my boss, who's the managing shareholder of the firm. It starts with having a good relationship with the folks on the board so that they know that I am being genuine, I am being sincere, I am looking out for the best interests of the firm as well as the folks who work in the firm. And so I think that's the first thing. And then I think the second thing is the data. I think so many diversity and inclusion professionals don't rely enough on the data. You have to look at where the gaps are and you have to be willing to address those gaps. And so it's things as simple as doing assessments, doing engagement surveys, talking to people, doing focus groups, and figuring out, okay, well, is there a gap in, in recruitment? Are we missing a certain segment of our population? Is there a gap with regard to attrition and retention? Are we losing a certain segment of our population at a higher rate than other segments of our population? Um, and so just constantly analyzing those gaps and then constantly being creative enough to determine, okay, well, what are the initiatives that I need to develop? What are the policies? What are the practices to begin to fill in those gaps? And, and, and then the third thing I think is always important is allyship. I think you have to determine who are those folks that are willing to be down in the trenches with you, and they may not necessarily look like you. I mean, they may not be 
another African-American woman or another person of color. Nine times out of 10, it's going to be a person who does not share your affinity, but necessarily does share your same strategy and your same thoughts on what needs to happen to create a more equitable work environment. That is so amazing. So I was going to bring up um, your innate ability to tell stories. So you definitely have this keen skill or talent, or maybe you're just born that way. I'm thinking, Leo woman, you probably just had that in you. Um, but you tell these great stories or you write so in such a compelling way, um, but you have to have the data to back it up. So I love that you said that because oftentimes we think, oh, well, I'll move people with my story. But then if you're dealing with lawyers and businesses of law like Ogletree is, you're going to need the data. And the data means, you know, how will this not only positively impact the people who work here and are our colleagues and friends, but how will this maneuver change this course correct impact our clients? And they want this. They are expecting this. So I can see you have, you have um, all three of those points you made are super duper powerful. And that's great that you start with relationships because, you know, the audience makes meaning of the message. And if you don't have those relationships in place, they might, you know, just not give you the attention that you need. So I can imagine you work hard yeah. on that. Well, let me ask you, I want to make this um, podcast a lot about you, the woman, you, the person. Um, we know Ogletree is a really great law firm. It's a global law firm. Everyone has heard of them. But I want people to know about you, the woman. So mm -hmm. tell me, um, I know your resume and your bio, but not everybody does. You've done so much. It's, you're remarkable. You think you were 85, and I know you're not. <laughs> <laughs> you're very, uh, you know, you held that, all, you must have started at 12. <laughs> um, but you have a lot of accomplishments. What would you mm -hmm. say? It might, it might be a tough question, but what would you say outside of family? is your proudest accomplishment? Yeah, you know, I, I that is a tough question, but I would say I think my proudest professional accomplishment really has been rising to the C-suite level um, at Ogletree in my law firm. I, I am, as far as I know, the first black woman chief officer in the firm's 43-year history. And now I'm one of three female C-suite leaders um, out of six in our firm. And, you know, we just hired our first female COO this year in 2020. And I'm so excited about that. And honestly, I'd like to believe that, that the, the success that I've had in my role and the success that Sharon Wardrip, who is our chief administrative officer, has had in her role has helped to pave the way and kind of lay a, a foundation for greater diversity in our C-suite ranks. And so I think that's my greatest professional accomplishment. Um, I would also say that I feel like I am a good connector. I love, and, and you are too, Susan. It's so funny because, you know, talking prior to the po podcast, we both discovered that we're both Leos and we have so much in common. And the thing is, is that I love connecting people with people. I love it when I can share an idea with someone and an aha bulb or, or moment yeah. goes off in their minds, right? And so I consider those professional accomplishments as well. I love having such a broad and wide network that almost anytime, I mean, just like in the last couple of weeks, I can't tell you how many emails or LinkedIn messages or, or Facebook messages that I get from people saying, hey, um, I'm looking for somebody who's trying to do 
XYZ? Or do you know somebody who's um, interested in ABC? Can you help me, you know, connect with somebody who does that? And almost 95% of the time, I am able to connect them with someone either locally, regionally, or nationally. And it is a wonderful um, feeling to be able to do that. Isn't that the truth? So I'm laughing while you're talking because you are, you are an amazing connector. It's almost like, you know, 60, six degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon has nothing on you. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's one or two degrees of separation. Exactly, exactly. It's almost like you collect people, then you connect them to one another. It's really remarkable to watch. Um, and yeah, I do ride on that same uh, train, you know, that, that let's, let's connect all aboard, everybody help one another, rise as we lift ourselves, you know, so I Absolutely. love to watch you in action. Well, um, you've connected me with some powerful people. I mean, you know, just in the last, since we've known each other, it's just been amazing that the folks that you've connected me with, who I've then turned around and connected them with other people that have helped them as well. So it's just, I mean, that to me is how we start to make an, uh, you know, make meaning, uh, really have meaning in our lives and how we start to make a meaningful impact, especially when you're talking about, you know, diversifying and creating greater inclusive spaces where we're living and where we're working and where we're having fun, right? I love it. You're exactly right. Exactly right. I mean, I feel like I go to the Church of Michelle Wines because I'm totally on board with everything you just said. It's amazing. I do want to touch on something you, you mentioned before, your, your proudest professional accomplishment. I was going to say that there is no doubt in my mind because of you, your role, and the successes you have made uh, happen, the, the successes you have implemented, that is why they hired these women in these other positions or the COO. I can bet you no doubt that because of, of what the work you've done, they now see we should do more of this. We should hire more women in C-suites and um, so I just wanted to say that you're, you know, a great, you lead by example and you make it look fun and it's something that's not done enough. So thank sure you. That, yeah. Thank you. I, I'm having fun. I'm, I'm having a lot of fun and, and I'm so looking forward to working hand in hand with our new COO, Lisa Ellis James. She's amazing. And she's just such a ball of energy and fire and she's coming here and already <laughs> I'm like, okay, let's look at this. Let's look at that. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? And I love it. I absolutely love it. So that's yeah, it's, it's going to be fun working with her over the next few years. I'm really excited. Oh, that is so nice. So I love when people say they love where they work, they love what they do, and they love the people with whom they work. So that's, you know, the trifecta right there. Absolutely. Um, it's yeah. not even working at that stage. It's just well, living, yeah. I mean, living a life you love. That's right. And you and I talked about that before the podcast. I think sometimes when you're so passionate about what you do, it's hard to turn it off sometimes. And <laughs> I'm always working. Like I'm working on the weekends. I'm working. I get up first thing and I'm working at 4, 30, 5 o'clock in the morning. But honestly, it doesn't feel much like work most of the time because I love what I do and I love the people that I work with. And so that's like the sweet spot to me to really be doing something where you're in your passion space and you are, you feel like you're making a difference. And at the same time, you love what you, what, what you do. And, and that is, I feel so blessed to be here at Ogletree and to be doing this work. 
Well, I hope, and I'm sure they do, but I hope Ogletree recognizes the, the win they have in you. Uh, but I also know for a fact, uh, you know, because I'm an outsider looking in, your clients must certainly feel that energy, feel that passion, and just really, I mean, I think that's the kind of thing that changes someone from a satisfied client to a loyal client when you're working with someone like you who is super passionate about it and the line between uh, life, you know, personal life and professional life, you, you've learned to integrate that beautifully and you're so happy with what you're doing. I think that kind of energy, you know, is infectious. Yeah, I tell you, I, we have seen such an increase in the number of clients who are drawn to our um, DNI practice and are drawn to what we're doing internally in the diversity and inclusion and professional development space at Ogletree. And it's it's interesting because one of my coordinators was saying, "Oh my gosh, Michelle, we have had more client inquiries and more client collaboration efforts in this first three months of um, 2020 than we probably had most of." 2019. It's, it's just amazing. Um, and, and we're doing wonderful things. I mean, everything like um, one of our clients has us involved in an innovation sprint right now, where we're trying to develop a new diversity and inclusion project that impacts um, not only the company, but also the, the outside counsel firms that work with the company. And so we're doing that over the course of six weeks. And then we actually have a project, an initiative that we're going to roll out at the end of the six weeks. Um, we have another client that we're working with to do an, an LCLD, Leadership Council for Legal Diversity, luncheon for the fellows. Um, there's another client that we're working to, to you know, just bring in um, a CLE and to talk to their in-house counsel lawyers. Missouri has a new elimination of bias credit, CLE credit that they've been oh, nice. Yeah, and it's a one-hour credit. It, it can be part of the, the uh, ethics credit as well that our attorneys have to get, but they have to have at least this one hour. And um, it's amazing because we have a lot of clients that are saying, hey, can you come in and help us and do a, um, a training or a workshop on elimination of bias, cultural competency, implicit bias, that type of thing. And so we're, we're coordinating with clients as well. So yeah, it's, it's been amazing. And, and we have this wonderful diversity and inclusion practice group that's led by Kenya Johnson. She's in our um, our Philadelphia office. I love her. You yeah, know her. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know Kimia. And we brought Kimia in um, a couple years ago and she's spearheading this group. And I'm telling you, it's growing by leaps and bounds. And we have clients reaching out to us all the time um, just to help them with their DNI efforts. So it's been amazing, just the 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 groundswell. It's been wonderful. Well, I just want to say to the audience that um, if you are not familiar with how a business of law operates and what a business of law looks like. Michelle just described that. So when you are the, the law firm that will do more than just legal work for your clients, you actually help them reach their goals and accomplish the things that are in their own business strategies and plans. That is a business of law. And you raise your um, value so much when you're able to help your clients achieve their own goals outside of just doing legal work. Of course, that's important too, but right. this, is, this is by far, when, when people look at DNI and they say, oh, you know, somewhere buried on the website, you can click a tab and check out our statement on DNI. That is not taking it seriously. That is not DNI needs to be as much a part of the business of law and of any 
company or any business as as the main uh, core competency. It shouldn't be a side dish or an afterthought or, hey, we're doing this too. It should be a part. It's it's a, a fiber woven into the fabric of your core competencies. That's and right. It really needs to be part of your strategy. I mean, yeah. I don't know as a company how a company or a law firm can be successful if they don't have a, a DNI strategy. Um, well, I think <laughs> that they haven't been. That's why I think that's why that um, we see the data shows that the bottom line for everyone who takes this seriously and uh, views it as the entree and not the side dish is better than those companies who don't take this seriously. Um, they're going to lose business. That's true. Yeah, there's been yeah. all kinds of studies, catalyst studies and McKinsey and um, all kinds of studies in terms of, you know, just the, the link to um, higher profits, um, the link to higher engagement, um, the link to, especially when you have um, women who are um, on the board and in leadership positions in companies, that's definitely linked to higher um, profits and profitability for companies as well. So they're, they're definitely, the, the business case is there. It's just a matter of actually implementing it on a day-to-day -day basis and actually having a plan and a strategy to execute it. And I think what you've done well is you have created a sense of curiosity in those who are, um, you know, so, so I teach a lot about muted group theory. And that is part of the session that I do when I talk about how genders communicate differently and how all the operating systems within which we currently work are created by white men white men over 50 and I don't speak white male and you don't speak white male and women <laughs> and other minorities don't speak white male. Right. When I say speak, I'm talking about not just words, but you know, the governing body, the, the dictates, the mission, vision, and strategy, even the body language, you know, the nonverbal communications. So when you say we're waking up people and saying, look, I don't speak that, you need to be curious about how I speak, or maybe someone else might say, don't be afraid of the other. And, and this bull about tolerating, that's silly. We need to be mm -hmm. curious and embrace and engage. Right. right. You are the woman who is making that happen. Um, at least that's what I see when I look on all your uh, LinkedIn posts and pictures and stories and the people who support your work. Uh, you are definitely a leader and spearheading so much change, not just at Ogletree, but I think nationally. Oh, thank you for that, Susan. I really appreciate that. And you said something that really struck me, that word tolerating. I can't stand oh, that word yeah. tolerating. And I hope that people have taken that out of their DNI vocabulary because that is not what DNI is about. And like you said, it really is about embracing and creating an environment where where people can belong, and and it's it's not tolerating anybody. I mean, right. who wants to be tolerated? Nobody wants to be tolerated. People want to be celebrated. They want exactly. to be They want to belong. And so, yeah, that's. Well, that <laughs> I hope begs we'll the question: that. Can you tell the audience a little more about? So, so a lot of people don't realize that diversity and inclusivity are, are different concepts, you know, what, yeah. so tell us a little bit about what is the ultimate goal and, you know, I always like to say, instead of talking about unconscious bias, let's talk about conscious inclusion. That's right, yeah, so diversity is literally, I mean, just the diverse 
um, representation that you have at the table. It's the diversity and the similarities that exist in an organization. So, and that is really quite broad. It's not just race and ethnicity and gender and sexual orientation, but it could be as simple as, you know, hey, are you the oldest in your family of children? Are you a veteran? Are you uh, differently abled? Um, what's your personality type? You know, I, I know that I, I am an ENTJ, right? Wow. <laughs> And I'm so, an ENFJ, so that's yeah. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm an ENFJ. That's right. I'm feeling. I am not thinking. That's right. I'm not thinking. And most of the lawyers, which is why I'm a recovering lawyer, are into that too. <laughs> yes. So that's right. I'm an ENFJ. So that is the diversity. It's just recognizing that we all bring different backgrounds and perspectives to who we are every single day when we're sitting at the table. Whether that is your race, your gender, your your sexual orientation, your gender identity, your gender expression. And then inclusion is actually creating an environment where people can bring those diverse attributes to the table and actually feel successful, feel like they can leverage their talents on behalf of the organization, um, leverage their talents on behalf of their own advancement and promotion and be successful within an organization. And so that's the difference. And I think people tend to jumble and mumble them up and it, it really is different. And I love, you know, Brene Myers, who's now the chief diversity officer for Netflix and she and I are friends and she has this old saying and, and, and a lot of times she doesn't get credit for it. And I'm always like, hey, hey, that was my friend. Verne said that. But she said, you know, diversity is being invited to the party and inclusion is actually being asked to dance. And that's true. So you can be invited to the party, but you can stand along the wall and nobody's asking you to dance and you're not really part of the, the party. You're not really out there on the dance floor engaged, right? Honestly, so I do quote her and I give her credit for it. I love that saying. I love her. She's great. I follow her too. Um, but honestly, I almost, I mean, it, it hurts to be invited and not asked to dance, you know? So, oh, you know, yeah. don't invite me if you're not going to ask me to dance. Exactly. So inclusion is so, you used the word belonging and that, so I don't care if anyone out there knows the definition of inclusion. Um, but if you know, everyone knows the definition of belonging. So just liken those two words and you got it. You got it. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, the belonging piece is everybody wants to belong. I mean, we are such a tribal we're tribal by nature. Everybody wants to find their tribe that they fit into. And, and, you know, Brene Brown, I love her. She talks about how we all have this, just this need, this very tribal need to belong and to find the group of folks that where we fit in. And so belonging is just being in an organization and feeling like you are part and parcel of that organization. You are part and parcel of the department that you're working in, the, the practice group that you're working in and you're able to bring everything that you bear your authentic self to the table now of course authenticity has its its parameters right we, we want to make sure people are <laughs> bringing themselves in an emotionally intelligent way but of course you know bringing their, their authentic selves to the table to you know to the, the best extent possible and, and in a very conscious manner um, and being successful so that's what belonging is to me I have tears in my eyes because what you say is so true. It's so powerful and so moving. And yet my cheeks are burning because I'm smiling so hard. <laughs> <laughs> you are so good, Michelle. You just encapsulate everything. And, and Brene Brown is another woman that I'm a huge fan of. I actually um, 
am hopeful to get her as a keynote speaker at one of my events. So wish Oh my gosh, that know? would be amazing. You know what? I just took her leadership seminar. The Central Exchange is a women's um, organization here in Kansas City, and they have a two-day leadership seminar that they do, her Dare to Lead program. Yes, yes. And yeah, I just did it in December, right before the Christmas holiday. It was fabulous. And then I just had my two managers, my professional development manager and my um, diversity and inclusion manager go through it last week. And um, they both raved about it. So, such a good- I love it. I would do anything to be able to do that. I have a, a solo, I'm a solopreneur and I have a small business, but at some point, I, I feel confident I'll be able to cut that check and get over there and take that because yeah. she, she's, I mean, I don't know. I'd like to say she, you know, she is Oprah. She is me. She is you. She is like, before we knew who Brene Brown was, we were behaving in a genuine, authentic way. She made, she made us cool. She made authentic cool. She yeah, made vulnerable she really cool. did. She uh, really did. And yeah. she's such a grounded person. I love how grounded she is. And she she is one of those people that you are going to get Brene, the real Brene, whether you want it or not. And I love <laughs> exactly. <that. laughs> I feel that's me. I know that's me. And I feel that's you too. So, oh, that's uh, me for sure. You know, what you see is what you get. And I always, so sometimes I go into meetings with clients and look, I'm super smart, but I don't, I don't act with pretense. Like I make certain mm -hmm. intimidate people. And so I'll say the phrase, I'm WYSIWYG. And I, <laughs> I didn't realize that there are people in the world who'd never heard of that. And I'll go uh -huh. into that. <laughs> That's hilarious. Do you know what that means? I don't know exactly what okay. it means. So, so you should explain it. Yes, because it's an acronym for what you see is what you get. What you get. Oh, yeah. love it. Love it. <laughs> and Michelle, you are WYSIWYG too. I'm WYSIWYG. So. Okay. I'm going to start using that. <laughs> Wear it well, you wear it well. So let me ask you this. You have inspired so many, myself included, and all those folks at Value on Social. And I'm sure um, that your firm, you know, believes that you've inspired the people that work with you as well as the clients. But who has inspired you, Michelle? Um, oh, my gosh. I have so many people that have inspired me, but I would say the one person that I continue to look up to and who inspires me regularly um, is, a, is a man by the name of Maurice Watson. And I don't know if you know Maurice, but he is the former chair of Hush Blackwell Law Firm here in Kansas City. It's an AmLaw 100 firm. And he was my very first boss out of law school. And I tell you, when I worked there as a young associate, he used to intimidate the heck out of me. Um, he's a double Harvard grad, right? Harvard undergrad, Harvard Law. He also happens to be a black gay lawyer, right? Wow. Yeah, and I think he may he may be the first black gay uh, chair of an in law one hundred firm. I I believe that's the case. Um, and but here's the thing, and he just rolled off, so he just finished his term, and and, and he, his term ended um, in 2019. But what I love about Maurice is that he has always been authentically and unapologetically himself. I and, love it. Yeah, and he is a man of substance and style. And so he, you know, he rose from being a mere summer associate at that firm to chair of the firm. And it took him, yeah, it took him 30 years to do it. But in the course of doing it, Susan, 
he showed me, like I watch him and I see how to build deep and abiding relationships. I see personally, one-on-one, how to definitely navigate firm politics. Um, I see him speaking up and advocating for himself. And so he's taught me how to advocate for myself. And I, and I see him doing all of that by having his own sense of style and his own sense of flair. And, and, and he does it with such a level of sophistication that I have just deeply admired it from afar. And he's also been a mentor and a sponsor. And, you know, we've developed yeah, we've developed a strong bond and he's like a brother to me now. I mean, he's, he's Sage's, my youngest, my 16 year old, he's her godfather. Oh, wow. Yeah. There's hardly a week that goes by where we don't talk or text each other or see each other. And so, but the funny thing is, is that we don't always agree. And so that's why I say he's like a brother to me because I remember, you know, when I first got my first, I was, I was at Hush, it was Blackwell Sanders back in the day. And I was there for, for, almost five years as an associate. And again, it was one of those jobs that I loved. Oh my God, I love working with him. I love working with Alan Hawkwest. And again, worked all the time because I never felt like I was really working. I just loved that job. And we were doing education law. I had been a teacher before law school. And so we were, I was practicing with, I was uh, representing school districts. And so it was wonderful being an education lawyer because I got to go in and work with superintendents and work with, I could be working with a janitor one day and a superintendent the next day, or I could be working with a teacher or a principal. It was just fabulous. I loved it. But I remember when I got the call one day from Shukardi and Bacon, which was the biggest firm in town here in Kansas City, and they were looking for Spanish-speaking lawyers. And I happened, I had majored in Spanish in college. And so I was so intrigued by the job. And I said, okay, I'm going to go in for this interview. And I went in for the interview. The interview was all in Spanish, which was so intimidating because I had... I hadn't spoken Spanish on a day-to-day basis in a really long time. So I went in and did this interview. Bottom line is I got the job, right? And it was to do international product liability law and kind of travel around Latin America, helping them to develop their expert witness cadre. So finding expert witnesses, developing them for trial. And so I remember going in and telling Maurice, hey, you know, I got this job and I'm going to take it. And he said to me, are you kidding me? Like, you have two children under the age of two. Like, how are you going to do that? (laughs) Right? And so I just looked at him and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, (laughs) why would you doubt that? Like, you know, and I said, you know what? I said, yeah, it's going to be hard. I said, but I'm going to go and do it. And I remember him later saying to me, he said, I am so proud of you. He said, because you could have like taken my shock with you leaving and, and taking that job. And, and you could have just said, oh my God, doubted yourself and said, you know, I really shouldn't move on. And I really should just stay here and stay comfortable and, you know, stay with me. He said, but yet you went and you did it and you did such a fabulous job and look at the career that you built for yourself. And so again, that was a moment in time where we didn't necessarily agree with each other. And in fact, I was quite shocked because he had always been so 100% supportive, but I think he was kind of, I think he felt like he was protecting me and like, you know, like, have you really thought this through? Like you have two babies and how are you going to do all that travel? (laughs) And and I'm like, no, I really haven't thought it all the way through, but I'm going to figure it out. And I got a husband who's supportive and we'll figure it out, you know? And you did, let me tell you. So let me just say, it sounds like Maurice's WYSIWYG. Let's just put it that way. Oh, he is, for he sure. Definitely. And wow, I can't believe you speak Spanish and they, they you know, you, you speak it well enough to have gotten the job when the whole interview was in Spanish. That's incredible. 
Um, I, my mother spoke Spanish. She, she, you know, didn't teach me. I didn't learn a thing. I know uh, El Gato Tocando La Guitarra. That's all. <laughs> the cat playing the guitar, seriously. It doesn't get me anywhere. That's it. Oh, that's so funny. That's so funny. Yeah, well, I will tell you, I was scared as I don't know what when I went in for that. I bet. Because, like, I, it had been so many years since I had spoken Spanish on a day-to-day -day basis. Like, I, I, I lived abroad in Spain for a year after I graduated college and was working on a graduate degree, but decided not to, to get that. And then I came back and I taught school for a couple years and, and I taught Spanish and the whole English language curriculum. And so I did that before I went to law school. And then in law school, I did immigration clinic and I had some Spanish um, speaking yeah. clients, you know, in, in immigration clinic, which was great, but I still wasn't necessarily speaking it on a day-to-day -day basis, basis. And so mind you, five years had gone by when yeah. I got this call from this recruiter. And I'm like, I don't know that my Spanish skills are up to par. Like, I don't know that I could do this. And my husband was like, are you kidding me? You need to just, don't take the opportunity away from yourself. Go in and oh, let I them tell you now. Oh, yeah. So sweet. He was, he was so sweet. And he was like, look, you know, he was a prosecutor at the time. He worked for Claire McCaskill, who oh, eventually, yeah. Claire became a senator, of course. And Claire was yeah. the one who who put his name up before Barack Obama. So yeah, he was like, don't you take that opportunity from yourself. You go in, you do the interview, and you let them tell you no. And if it wasn't meant to be, it's not meant to be. But you need to at least go in and see if it works, you know? I love that. Oh my gosh, that's the, look, that's the kind of partner you, everyone should have, you know? So don't, what is the Wayne Gretzky, you know, a quote about you miss 100% of the shots you don't take? Never take, that's right. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Well, kudos to your husband for for being such a great partner. And we didn't talk a lot about him. We should for a minute. But um, since we're on inspirational mentors and people who move you, you should give him a shout out because I see how you talk about your family on social and I see how you promote uh, their good works. You are seriously a five-star woman and you have clearly attracted a five-star man. So a little shout out because I could go on and on but <laughs> I, I do feel very strongly like you know Michelle Obama talks about how you really do have to marry someone who makes you a better person and I feel like I definitely got that with Brian I, uh, he has been so supportive of my career and at the same time he's built an incredible career himself I mean he was a career prosecutor for a number of years and then he became a drug court commissioner and you know where he was handling um, nonviolent drug offender cases and trying to get people treatment instead of sending them to prison and I remember when he was doing that job and it's amazing how many people are on drugs like we would go <laughs> or recovering yeah. from being on drugs and yeah. so We'd go out to restaurants, we'd go out to the movies, what have you, and he was always running into people who had appeared before <laughs> him in drug court, which was a little scary, but, <laughs> little you know, yeah, but at the same time, I can't tell you, Susan, the number of people who would come up to him and say, you saved my life. Yeah. Like, thank you for putting me in jail, or thank you for sending me to that diversionary program, because I needed that, and it happened at just the right time in my life, so it just 
said solidified for me, I, this man is such a good man. And so he went from that to them being a circuit court judge. And I think he was a circuit court judge, state court judge for about six years or seven years, and then decided to run for, for this um, federal, um, federal position. And I say run for really to put his name in the hat. And you know, the funny thing about that process, Susan, is that there were so many people who tried to discourage him because he did not come from an Ivy League background. You know, unlike Maurice, he didn't go to Harvard or Stanford or, you know, one of these big Ivy League schools. In fact, he went to an HBCU. He went to a historically black college or university. He went to Thurgood Marshall School of Law in, in Texas, and they pride themselves on forming litigators and on forming people who make can make very persuasive arguments. He was a, a moot court champion. I mean, this guy, I'm telling you, he's one of the best arguers, uh, persuasive yeah. people I have ever met, right? I he's have to say, I think I'm in love. <laughs> yeah. I mean, pre I mean, pretty amazing. But, you know, it's difficult, though, when you're married to somebody and you both like to argue. So at times, we have to kind of figure out how to chill right because well if you if you're fair about it and you do it right sometimes it can be fun I have a litigation yeah. in my house too so <laughs> yeah yeah so you know you know well, but let me yeah, just but say about Brian um if he's listening and I'm sure he will he'll hear this uh the love you have for him and the respect that you have for him and his work shines through in the way that you present yourself publicly so well, thank you y'all are amazing um, he's yeah. support. He has been so supportive of me. So I, I'm very grateful and uh, I recognize it. I would not be where I am today were it not for his support. You know, we have three daughters and that has been hard practicing law and having three daughters and, and he's been there every step of the way. And I've tried to be there for him every step of the way as well. I can see it. I can totally see it. And you guys lead by good example. You're very open, honest, and direct. You're authentic and, you know, fun to watch, fun to watch. So I'm going to um, have to meet him too when I'm down there in Kansas. Yeah, for sure. We'll have to take you to dinner. Well, absolutely. We do like to uh, eat food. Right, right. We have that in common. You are so look just just your voice your energy your enthusiasm the passion about the job that you do and you do such a good job um let me it might be redundant to even ask this question um since my business model and my mission and my strategy is to lift other women not everybody can do what i do and not everybody can do what you do but in some small way how can most people support other women in business you know what? I think that um, there, you know, I love that. I think it's Madeline Albright um, who said there's oh, a yeah. special place in hell for women <laughs> who don't support other women. Yeah. I feel that so strongly. I feel like we have to look out for each other and we have to use our privilege whenever we can to benefit other women. And this essentially requires that we're partnering with other women, we're invested in their success, and that we do it not just in rhetoric and words, but that we put actual action to it, you right. know? Um, I was at an event the other day, Menda Hartz, um, I don't know, she wrote this book called The Memo, What, what uh, Women of I Color. Remember, I remember I introduced yeah. you on email. You introduced us, see, you, right. I'm telling you, you, you are a connector, so you, 
you introduced me to Minda. So Minda came to Kansas City and her book, she talked about her book, The Mill, What Women of Color Need to Know to Secure a Seat at the Table. And I was struck by one thing that she said. She said that she had interviewed hundreds of women for her book and that 98% of the women that she interviewed said that white men had been their allies. And I was like, wow, so you mean to tell me that other women haven't been the allies for this yes. woman who have found themselves in positions of authority? Oh and my gosh. That's crazy to me. So I'm like, how are we, if we're not looking out for each other, how can we expect other people who don't share our affinity to look out for us? But in fact, they have been, right? Yeah. Um, so, so for me, it boils down to a few things, Susan. One is, I'm always looking out for opportunities for other women. So I will not speak on an all-male panel. I refuse to be the token female. So I'm always being... A manal? A manal. I'm not speaking on a manal. Great. So I am going to bring along other women with me. I'm going to help them showcase their brilliance, their talent, their skills. And when someone calls me about a speaking opportunity or something that I can't take, I am so quick to refer other outstanding women first who I believe can add value. And I do that unapologetically. I mean, I think about a woman before I think about a man. I just, men have been doing that for centuries and I, I just make that my practice. Um, yeah, we do. We do. And, and then I also feel like, you know, if a woman has been successful, that does not take anything away from me. And I'm the first person to congratulate her. I'm the first person to wish her well. And then I want to help publicize her success as broadly as I can. And I do that at, at Ogletree for the women who have done wonderful things. I'm always posting about them on my LinkedIn. I'm always sharing their, their successes internally with, to the board and, and, and people in leadership here at the firm. I do it with my friends. Uh, just have a really good friend, Misha Buford Epps, who just became the first African-American leader of the Missouri Bar in the Missouri Bar's 76-year history. Wow. And I just posted about her on LinkedIn the other day because I am thrilled because Misha is a person who took a few years off to raise her children. She was a partner at Shakardi and Bacon where I worked doing that international law stuff. And she took a few years off to raise her child. And now she's back in the, in the, in the saddle and she's coming in strong as the, the, the executive director of the Missouri bar. So I'm that's like, so incredible. it's incredible. And it's so, rare. I mean, that's hard. That's it, it, it's all too often rare. It needs to yeah. be so rare, but to come back from taking time off and then land that she just she totally deserves this i'm sure oh she's a badass she's a badass exactly <laughs> I'm glad that you said that i was like you know you can say that on my podcast you can yeah i can say it on the podcast but yeah, yeah she's a badass and i'm so, yeah i'm so happy for her i'm so it happy for her me like you too believe that when you help one woman you help all women that's right that's and when right. you hurt one woman you hurt all women so um, I'm, I'm always talking about how, let's say there's only one or two spots at the top and women are clawing at each other to get those spots. I say, stop it, ladies. Let's redirect our energy to claw the operating system. Let's create more spots, not just fight each other. That's right. And That's you right. That's right. That's right. 
Yeah. You know, I, I love Susan. I don't know if you have heard of this, but David Solomon, he's the CEO of Goldman Sachs. Did, did you see his announcement that he did in January of this year that he said they're not going to take any more companies public if they, yeah. if they don't have a diverse slate that includes women and people of color? Yeah, I was blown away by that. To me, that is using your privilege for good. And yeah. so that is you got a seat at the table you have power and you are using your power to diversify companies and so i you know that's happening with public companies i'd love to see a movement a similar movement in the private sector as well but um you know i think the other thing that i do just and i'll briefly mention is that i also unapologetically advocate for policies and processes and procedures that are women friendly, you know, and, and make the practice of law less laborious um, for right. men and women who have childcare responsibilities or elder care responsibilities, or frankly, just have other interests. And yeah. so, you know, recently I, I helped to advocate for and get approved a move from a 12-week paid parental leave policy to 16 weeks. Wow. Yeah. We have a new remote work policy where our attorneys can work remotely up to two days per week. We've got a milk sort program so women who are breastfeeding and, and travel for work can ship their breast milk back home for free. Um, yeah, and, and we have a backup child care program. So these are all things that I'm working with our women's initiative. Um, Carrie Reisdorf is a partner here in our Kansas City office, and she leads our women's initiative. And so I work with her. I work with Kay Strachey, our HR director. I work with Sharon Wardrip, who's our chief administrative officer, and Fran Morrison, who's a, a, one of our uh, female board members. And they all these women are powerful, and they have all stepped up and said, yeah. can we do to create more inclusive policies and practices so that people don't leave and that they are happy and want to stay and practice law here. And I'm so happy to partner with them and do those kinds of things because I think they're really important. Well, Michelle, you hit the nail on the head with something. I didn't want to interrupt because you fascinate me. I'm sitting here jaw dropped. This is amazing. The number of women in power at Ogletree. That's amazing. That's unheard of, actually, um, in most law firms across the country. So what I wanted to ask you about is um, the, the, the example of the helping mothers and helping fathers, too. Do you have a paternity leave policy? Do you have... I mean, are you working on that? Like, what, what if you have... Oh, yeah, yeah. Our parental leave policy applies to men and women. So the men can take 16 weeks as well. That is so forward-thinking. That's incredibly pro progressive. Uh, I'm super excited to hear that. I, I want to, like, tour the facility one day. Like, I want to... You're so passionate. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting an insider's view, like a private tour of Ogletree. Uh, that's awesome. The funny thing is, though, we're so spread out. Like, we have 50, I think it's 53 or 54 offices now all across the country. But the funny thing is, we are spread out. So, so HR is down in Greenville, and then our chief administrative officer is in Indianapolis. My team is in Kansas City. Our, you know, we just are all over the place. So, there, I mean, I guess you could come and tour one day our administrative offices down in Greenville. I mean, that's oh, where I a just lot of the. Like, in my mind, like I'm getting oh, the yeah, yeah, insider, yeah. insider view of Ogletree. Oh, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're just, yeah, we're all over the place. But it's a wonderful thing because I think that it brings diverse thought leadership. Yes. Because people are from all geographic locations. And so you've got 
a lot of diverse perspectives that are coming together to create these policies and to rethink these practices it's and these beautiful. initiatives. And it's beautiful. It really is. I'm it's, sure it's, it's not nice. easy, but it's totally worth it and what every company needs to do. I mean, you're getting, uh, we all have our little regional bubble we live in and we bring to the table those perspectives. It's nice to get a different view from others who have a shared desired outcome but might take a different approach to getting there. So yeah. I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. No, so it's true. Yes, this is the, um, the tough question. Everybody has had, you know, we grow. I feel like it's spiritual growth. Every time I face a challenge, I think, what can I learn from this? Um, so I'm sure you've had some challenges or setbacks. How did you overcome them? What were they and how did you overcome them? Yeah, you know, I would say my biggest challenge is honestly, it's still ongoing. Um, and that is becoming a the best leader that I can be to my team and to my department. And I say that because law school teaches us nothing about the fundamentals of leadership. And right. so I have had to learn from the ground up how to be a good leader. And so I have been studying it. I have been voraciously reading any and everything that I can read. I just, as I told you before, took this Brene Brown um, Daring Leadership course, and I now have an executive coach. I had an executive coach when I was a partner at a firm years ago, and I felt like I needed that then. Well, I have an executive coach again now because I feel like I need that check on, okay, is this the right thing? Is this the right approach? Should I be doing it this way? And then I've also, like I said, I've been reading great books like Patrick Lencioni. Um, he's written this book, um, The Advantage, um, Why Organizational Health Trumps Everything Else in Business. And then of course, you know, you've got the, and he, he's also the, the, he also wrote the, um, gosh, I'm, it's slipping my mind right now, but the five dysfunctions of a team. Uh, he's, he's wonderful. So he's a great leadership guru. And so I've been like learning at his lap and just reading and, and listening to his podcast and anything that I can do to take in his wisdom. And then Ronald Heifetz and Marty Linsky wrote a book, um, Leadership on the Line, Staying Alive to the Dangers of um, Leading. And that has been an amazing book as well, because what I'm finding is that um, we have lots of personalities that are coming together that I've got to navigate, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining. <laughs> yes. And um, ISTJ lawyer personality too. That's right. That's right. And different styles of communication. Yeah. And that has been a challenge. And so you know, it's one thing to lead a legal team and to know that, okay, you got to get this brief out or, oh, we, we've got to go depose this witness. I need you to do this, this um, deposition outline for me. Um, and that's a lot different than leading in this space that is a diversity and inclusion space and a professional development space where I'm also supporting the growth and development of my own people so that they are also growing as well with me. And so that's been an ongoing challenge, to be honest. And, and it's one I don't take lightly and it's one that I'm trying to, to, to be better and do better. But yeah, that's, it's been a big challenge. A few comments on all of that. So as you speak, I take notes. I don't always do that with my guests, but you are such a uh, wealth of knowledge and you know, lots of words of wisdom. So I take notes while you talk. Um, but I wanna go back to something I think is really interesting. I asked you about your proudest, uh, and you said professional accomplishment, and you mentioned it's that 
you're in the position you're in and creating great change. I thought that was so beautiful. And equally beautiful is the fact that you also said that is your greatest challenge. So yeah. I love that. You yeah. are embracing the challenge. You are taking it head on and wrangling with it. And, and thank you for these books. I've written down the, um, the books that you mentioned. My husband and I both are sponges for leadership <laughs> podcasts and such. Uh, he is a leader. He has a, um, runs a city. So he will definitely appreciate, maybe this will be a birthday present. I'll give oh, good. Good, good, good. Yeah. yeah. I love reading. I mean, I, I, I probably read a book or two a month. I mean, I, I just, Dang. I, yeah, I just feel like I, I, I feel like there's so many thought leaders out there and there's so much to learn still. I have so much to learn both in the PD space and in the DNI space um, and in the critical race theory space. I feel like, oh my God, I'm just a baby in that space. I, I have a lot to learn. Um, so I'm just always reading and learning and growing. And, and I like the fact that um, most of the people on my team have a growth mindset, you know? And I love really, that. I was just yeah. going to say, it's a growth mindset. And it, it does give me pause when I, I, I do often ask people, you know, what podcasts are you listening to or what book are you reading or what's your favorite? favorite movie and why. And I, I don't ask this in my podcast guests. I'm just kind of a weirdo out there getting to know people. I mean, I'll ask people that in conversation every day. Mm -hmm. And it gives me pause when they say, oh, I don't, you know, do any of that. Or I'm not interested in books or I don't read or just even audio books. I'm like, there's no excuse. You know, it's not like. Um, Absolutely. Much for that. So I love your conversation. I'm, again, my cheeks are burning incredibly from all the smiling I've been doing. You are so passionate. It comes through. Uh, there have been so many surprises about you. I didn't think that I would learn because you're so open on social, but I did. Um, can you tell us maybe something that uh, a surprising fact that most people who know you don't know? Um, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I love Spanish soap operas. And so, <laughs> so I find them and I binge watch them on Netflix. <laughs> oh my God. I was not expecting that. Oh my gosh. That's what I love to do. And I love, because, you know, I love that they have the subtitles. And so it allows me to like, listen to Spanish and keep up yeah. with Spanish, but then at the same time, kind of, you know, if I don't catch it, because my goodness, they're speaking so fast many times. And I'm like, I don't know what they just said. So then I can read the subtitles. And <laughs> That's so Rosetta Stone, look out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Amazing, so delightful, so funny, and so smart. I, I just think that it, you know, Ogletree definitely knows how fortunate they are to have you on the team, uh, and I'm sure the clients know it as well. But in case you folks need a reminder, you are lucky to have Michelle. Oh, <laughs> you're so kind. You are so kind. I think you're critical to the success of the firm, um, and if there's any lawyer out there who still thinks that being the smartest person in the room or making the greatest grades at Harvard is what gets you new business. 
you are sorely mistaken, sir or ma'am. Uh, that is not Amen. it. Amen. Yeah. Amen. It's surrounding yourself with, with, with brilliant people. And I feel like I'm surrounded by so many smart people. And that's right. the one thing that when I came to Ogletree, I will tell you, I was so impressed because not only are they some of the smartest and brilliant people I've ever worked with, but they're also super grounded and super easy to get along with. And that is just a rare combination, you know? I was about to say, said no person ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. awesome. That's awesome. Well, if people want to know more about you and the really progressive work that you're doing at Ogletree, how can they reach you? Um, the, probably the easiest thing is to email me at Ogletree, and my email address is michelle.wimes, W-I-M-E-S, at ogletree.com, and I'm also Michelle Wimes on both LinkedIn and Facebook, and then on Instagram, I'm Michelle Mybell Insta. <laughs> nice, nice. So, folks, you really should follow her on social. She's fun, she's funny, she's meaningful, uh, moving, all the good things. So, Michelle, thank you for being here today. You are so delightful, and I'm so glad to share you with my audience. Oh, thank you for having me, Susan. You are amazing. And um, as my fellow spirit animal, you <laughs> we're both heroes. <laughs> we have so much in common, and this has been delightful. To I, I just felt like I've been talking to my best friend, and it really hasn't been a podcast interview. So <laughs> it's been wonderful. So thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for being here. Everybody have a great day and tune in next time.